Please stand with me if you're able to stand. And and I'll be reading Galatians 5, verses 19 through 24. But I'm going to start in verse 16 just to remind us of the context. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You may be seated. Let me start with what's obvious. That is that everyone loves an accent. I wish I had a good one it would immediately make my preaching so much better. Whenever I hear uh, a really good really good accent, <laughs> mine may come out then, say, where are you from? So intrigued uh, by accents. We know this, don't we? That how we talk, gives away where we're from. And in the same way, Galatians 5 is teaching us that how we live gives away our spiritual state. It says it right there in verse 19, the works of the flesh and those who are of the flesh are those who have a spiritual state of being lost before God and still being in need of salvation. The works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. They're clear. They're plain. And then when he turns to a different list in verse 22, he starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit. What the Spirit does The work of the Spirit is described as fruit because we can see fruit. It's visible. After each one of these lists, he starts talking about those who do those lists. Out of the first one in verse 21, he says, those who do these 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whereas in verse 24, he says, the people who are described in these ways have done something different, have a different destiny. Each list ends with the acknowledgement that these characteristics are indicative. Your life will indicate who you are spiritually. And so I've titled the sermon, Spiritual Evidences. Spiritual Evidences. Because the choices we make and the character we have are like an accent showing where we live. Whether we live in this realm of the flesh or whether we live and our life is in the Spirit. All I really want to say to you this morning Two words. Salvation shows. Salvation shows. It is evident those who are saved, or or you could put it the way that Jesus put it in John 15. That we are to bear much fruit and so prove. To be his disciples. Salvation shows. We're given a list of spiritual evidences in verses 19 through 21, and that, that is the proof that the flesh has influence. Point number one is proof of the flesh's influence. Look back right before our passage in verse 17. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. What Paul wants us to understand is that the flesh inside everyone, including the flesh that's inside of Christians, wants to influence us in in four ways that we just introduced last week. The flesh, that, that part that's still inside of even Christians that is opposed to God, opposed to His will, will influence us in four ways. First of all, in verse 19, will influence us to disobey God sexually. You see those words in verse 19? Our flesh is tempting us. Wants us to think of someone we're not married to in a sexual way. To look at someone with lust. Even the flesh is there whenever we get into these habits of making Immoral jokes. It's the flesh influencing us. But then there's this second category, and you see it at the beginning of verse 20 in those two words, idolatry and sorcery. The flesh influences us to displace God spiritually. 
There is an enemy still inside even Christians that is influencing us to displace God out of the position he has and to put someone else, an idol or maybe more more like in their day, witchcraft, and to look to something other than God to help us and to bless us. So the flesh wants to do. The flesh in verses 20 and 21 is influencing us to do a third thing. And that is to dishonor God socially. Listen to me. Let me say something that you have heard and will hear. And that is, well, my sin only hurts me. I'm not, why are you, get, why are you worried about what I'm doing? Well, I'm, not, I'm not bothering anybody with my sin. Those ideas are not consistent with God's word. Let me give you two things that are consistent with God's word. One, every sin against God, every sin against God inevitably hurts people. And the second one, our relationships with other people reveal how we are actually doing with God. You see that very clearly in the longest list of sins of the works of what the flesh wants to do in verses 20 and 21. It inclines us toward enmity with people, strife with people, or, or toward jealousy, a, a disappointment in our life because we're comparing our life to what someone else has. Or fits of anger. A bad temper is what the flesh wants us to have. The flesh wants us to burst out at other people whenever we're disappointed. The flesh influences us toward rivalries. That, that means singling an individual out in your life as an enemy. You see that person as your enemy. Or, or dissensions is, is where, where that perspective on a person settles in to a, an opposition to them where, 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 where someone is you know, you, you go out of your way to avoid them at the store. Start acting crazy at the grocery store. You know, I need to get a few things. I'm not going that way. Saw that fella in their car. Just gonna, we'll go hungry tonight. We're going to go home. But I'm not putting up with that person. It is only funny because I'm guessing you have a sense of what this is. A dissension, settling in and refusing, though you have opportunity to reconcile with that person, refusing to do it. Making excuses for why you don't have to. Divisions, which, which focus not on necessarily 
particular individuals, but types of people. A certain type of people I just think poorly of or envy. Which is an ill will that you have in your heart because someone else has what you want. There is a God and you are not him. And he distributes to people differently. And it's sinful and wicked to envy someone else. Because God has given them what you want. And so you don't like them. But then there's this fourth. I think this is kind of a a summary category for the extreme of what the, the flesh wants to take us to. And that is to be wholly devoted to yourself. Drunkenness and orgies are an illustration of a person and how they live when the common limits that are common to humanity are not even honored. The drunk and the person who wants to have sex with as many people as possible is demonstrating a life where their self is unchecked and can't be stopped. Where they are their own lowercase g God. That's what the flesh inside every one of us wants to do. It would have been common in Paul's day to have a principle that is common in our day. And that is to say, Well, you can have everything in moderation. Nothing is actually bad so far, so long as you don't take it too far, beloved. On things like these, listen to what God says in verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't do it in moderation. Don't do it at all. That word do, though, is not, it's not really communicating that you're, you're guilty of doing it just once. That word do is translated elsewhere as those who practice such things. Those who have the habit that that's what they do. So you should understand this very clearly. That no one becomes the kind of person in verses 19 through 21 overnight. But there are people who become it. And they choose their way there. They neglect God over and over and over again till they become it. And so I do want you to hear me. If you can, with God's help, take an honest look at yourself and you actually discover that these aren't just things you have done once or twice, but these are actual present day habits in your life. Any of these. Or because you can't trust yourself. If, if, if the people in your life who know you best would say, Know that 
One of these actually characterizes you. If, if any of these things is a default of what we do, then God is revealing to you your spiritual evidence and your need. And I'm here to give you good news. That this God who may be convicting you right now, that you have maybe even secretly devoted yourself habitually to one of these things, that that God exposes that for good reasons. God only exposes our sin for this reason, and that is to provoke us to trust His Son. If God is displaying in this list your guilt, then He is doing that to get you to depend upon His Son. Listen, beloved. John says this, whoever makes a practice of sinning, makes a practice of sinning, is of the devil. He's just very clear. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning, and the devil and the flesh want you to keep on sinning. It's revealing something about us. But the reason, John says, that the Son of God appeared to us was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, He wasn't just saving us from hell. Jesus, our all-sufficient Savior, was going to give us power. Save salvation. Power over our sin. Power to no longer take pleasure in our sin. Christianity, Jesus Christ, is the only solution in all the world for sin. And if you turn to Him, He will forgive you of all of your sins. And Christians who have turned to the only solution in all the world for sin, Christians must not tolerate sin. Beloved, this is what Jesus saves us for. That we don't have to do any one of those things ever again. Because of Him. If you're here and you are feeling under the power of those things, the flesh, you're just being carried along and you recognize you're being carried along to your own destruction, listen to me. When your sin is uncovered, it is a good thing. Because God would have you confide in His Son. When your sin is uncovered, confide, take confidence in the Savior. Put all your trust in Him. Look to Him for strength. Look to Him for forgiveness. Ask Him for His Spirit, which which we're about to hear what His Spirit does. And, And Jesus promised, everyone who asks for the Holy Spirit, God will give Him the Spirit. Ask for the Spirit. 
And He will come and guard you from these things. And He will change your desires. We have a great Savior. Turn to Him and trust Him. Salvation shows. It is plain. It is evident. Salvation shows. Point number two, we don't just have a list here of the proof of the flesh's influence. We secondly, in verses 22 through 24, have the fruit of the Spirit's indwelling. Salvation shows who the Spirit is living in. We were told in Galatians chapter 4 that God sends His Spirit into the hearts of everyone who believes in Christ. Let me tell you what will happen when the Spirit comes into your life, He gives you gifts to actually serve Him. But no one Christian gets all the spiritual gifts. God has designed our life such that we have to benefit from others to receive the benefit of all spiritual gifts. It's through relationships in the church. And yet... Every single person who has faith in Christ gets all the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is planted inside of us. And He bears much fruit. First of all, love. Understand that love is not a feeling you feel inside. Not biblically. Love is an action that is directed toward others, and it's especially toward other believers. Especially, not solely, but especially. Listen, what it says about Jesus in Galatians chapter 2. He loved me and gave Himself for me. Love gives. Love gives. Uh, Jesus said this in John 13. As I have loved you, which is a self-giving, dying on the cross kind of love, so you are to love one another. And by that, the world will know you are my disciple. If you love like me. John says in his letters, We love because God first loved us. And whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is probably the first quality listed because it's the preeminent proof of someone's salvation. But then there's joy. We heard about this earlier in 1 Peter chapter 1. We sang about it in that song, Living Hope. None of that was planned by humans, but it fits perfectly with what God knew we would need to hear. God caused us to be born again through the resurrection of His Son to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
In this you rejoice. Joy is what the Spirit cultivates inside of us, which is a happiness of soul. Joy is a happiness of soul. Unmoved by circumstances, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. The Spirit awakens us that God loves us. We are His children, and He gives us a happiness of soul. In spite of whatever circumstances we are facing, He awakens us. The Spirit is there to remind us Christ has has conquered death for us. Christ is going to bring us to life forever in heaven. So we have a happiness of soul called joy. But the Spirit's not done. He also produces peace. He replaces hostility and gives us harmony. And that peace is first with God, but beloved, it is also with others. Listen to the way Ephesians chapter 2 describes this. You who were far off from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace with God. But then he keeps on going and he says, he has made us both. Jew and Gentile, people who had nothing in common together, both one has taken down the hostility. Listen. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. They are the ones who are like God. They are the ones who have peace with God. They make peace with their brothers and sisters. Spiritual evidences. Our relationship with God is always shown in our relationship With his people. That is a biblical fact. There never was such a thing as a Lone Ranger Christian, ever. Love it. These aren't just things we feel inside, they are expressed and manifested in our relationships with people in our community of faith. There is no such thing as an indifferent Christian. Someone who may be around people, but doesn't really care about people. And so it is good to see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Spiritual evidence that you are saved in that you have close relationships with other Christians. Where these qualities are being displayed. It is essential, beloved. The local church is the orchard. Where the Spirit's fruit is witnessed in this world. Patience. Patience with those people God calls you to be close with. It is a commitment to keep serving those who keep provoking you. Patience. That's what the Spirit does in the people of God. Goodness and kindness, similar terms. Both are related to generosity. It's a readiness to spend what you have 
your resources that God has given to you to make yourself available to pray for others. This is why we have to know what's going on in each other's lives. You can't just be here and then leave. That's not what the Spirit does. He makes us good and kind, willing to share our finances or our time because someone is struggling and God is going to meet those needs through us by His Spirit. Faithfulness. That is being someone that other people can count on. Being reliable like God is reliable. Being a man of your word. Being a woman of your word. This is God's will for us, beloved. To be faithful. And then also, to be gentle. The Spirit of God makes us gentle with other people because He has taken away our conceit. What He addresses next in verses 25 and 26, He takes this away, this self-centeredness. He makes us gentle with others because we don't need them to recognize us. He makes us gentle with others. It's hard for us to be offended because of all God has done for us in Christ. We're just not offended. We're gentle and not conceited. And then finally, self-control. That means the Spirit comes inside of us So that self is not God. God is God. And he gives us power to not be controlled by our desires. And our sinful passions. Another way to put this is to be chief of yourself. To not let yourself that would be opposed to God just run rampant. So you may go to a Christian bookstore and find lots of bestsellers about how you should focus on you, improving you, songs about mostly you. That's not what the Spirit's doing. The Spirit is causing us to resist us, to subject our strongest desires to the Lord Jesus, such that the people of the Spirit live lives that say, if my king doesn't approve it, then I don't care how badly my body wants it. I say no to my body. That's self-control. And verse 23, Paul sums this up. There is no law against any one of these. God has never had a law, and and humanity has never had a law outlawing any one of those qualities. It's just universally loved to be a person like that. Salvation shows. Salvation shows. If the Spirit dwells in us, He's not sleeping. He's bearing fruits. Salvation shows. And the evidence of salvation, though, grows. Okay? If you're saved, it will show. But the proof of it will grow over time. There's a time 
element. In these images that Paul has used to describe someone's spiritual state. I want you to let this set in. And that is what crucifixion and growing fruit have in common. Neither is fast. If we forget how salvation time works, we're going to be pretty confused by these lists and pretty frustrated by these lists. I want you to be aware of a theological term that will help you, and that is already, not yet. Already, not yet. Just simply, I'll tell you, it means that because of what Jesus has done in the past, what he's already accomplished, our future as Christians who believe in him is certain. It is already True and guaranteed already. And it is not yet realized. Not yet fully experienced. We have two examples from this one passage. The first we have in verse 24. Look again there. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have already crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have already crucified our flesh. Already. And the flesh is not yet dead. And that's how crucifixion works. The condemned is killed by being nailed to a cross. Death is absolutely certain. That's what the nails are for. He ain't getting down. But death is not fast in crucifixion. And Paul is saying every single person who believes in the one who was crucified for our sins has already crucified, willingly killed the flesh and all of its desires in verses 19 through 21. It's already happened. And yet those desires are not yet dead in the fullness of our experience. Beloved. The already has to be your mindset. It has to be the the perspective and the approach of a believer. The cross of Jesus Christ guarantees the death of my sin. My sin. Christ, my Savior, died to deliver me from these desires. That's why He died. And my Salvation shows in my crucifixion of these desires. In my daily crucifixion of these desires. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and die to self. The believer in Jesus Christ has this mindset and perspective, and we don't entertain other mindsets. I must never give in to the flesh. Never. It's already crucified. 
Never take sin lightly, beloved. If you're convicted over certain sins in that list in verses 19 through 21, and we're all, every one of us is guilty of some of those. It it may be to different degrees. But what that's telling you here is you've crucified it. Mind the nails. Mind the nails. Don't let that thing come down from the cross. Our salvation shows not in the complete absence of these choices. Our salvation shows in the urgent and violent struggle against those choices. And our salvation shows in our willing putting to death of those things. And in real victory over it, you will, if you're a Christian, experience the weakening of these things. But one kind of ironic thing about this, one sign that you are saved is that your hatred of them just goes up. And therefore, your sensitivity and conviction, if you do any of it at all, can feel heavier and heavier. And that's a sign of the spirits making you feel the way you should feel about sin and that he's in you and is saving you. Beloved, the spirit is able to kill these things and he is willing. Ask him to do it. And then after you ask, run from them and make not one provision for the flesh. Don't help it in any way. But there is a second time aspect of the already not yet that you need to see before we're done. And that is that these fruit, because the Spirit immediately comes inside a believer, these fruit are already planted and they are not yet ripe. You may be discouraged when you look at some of these qualities. One thing you need to do is just This is why we need a church to call our attention to these things. Because you may not be able to see these things. They may really be there. But you may be discouraged about where you are in some of these things. Well, ask the Spirit to help you. But just because that fruit is not ripe yet, doesn't mean it won't be. One of the things we do as a family is whenever one of my... It's not just my kids, it's my wife too. Whenever there's a birthday, I ask them, what do you want to eat for dinner? And I'll make you a special dinner. My Silas chose uh, this week chicken tacos, uh, plantains, and mac and cheese, of course. He's nine, okay? Look, it's delicious. Well, I didn't know that plantains take two weeks to ripen. And so I thought, we don't have two weeks. That chicken's going to be dead. It's going to kill us if we eat it in two weeks. But I looked it up. There are things you can do to promote ripening. Put them in a brown bag. You can accelerate the ripening if you then put it in the oven. Salvation shows. But the evidence that we have been saved 
the evidence in the fruit of the Spirit, it grows and it's sometimes slow, beloved. None of these qualities are produced by us, not by our efforts. And yet, there are certain choices that show that the Spirit is working. Because he puts us in certain conditions to promote ripening of the fruit and accelerate ripening of the fruit. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit's going to do it, but you better walk by the Spirit and you better keep in step with the Spirit. Beloved, listen to me. It's not a brown bag we get in, but we live inside the means of grace. These ways that God pours out Spirit and strength. We're doing it right now through the preaching of the Word. He he causes us to believe what is the Spirit and He produces these qualities in us by the preaching of the Word. By our prayer, privately, yes, but, but together when we're here, we're praying and agreeing with God and He's pouring out His Spirit to produce these qualities in us. The songs this morning that are true, it's another way we're rehearsing the songs, is taking me away from the works of the flesh and calling me to Christ. A community of believers who know you and are encouraging you, speak the truth and love for you and praying for you. These are how He ripens the fruit. It is. And no one grows apart from those things because He's chosen to use those things to bear fruit in us. The death of our sin by crucifixion And the growth that we have in the Spirit's fruit is not fast, but it is certain. Salvation shows. Oh God, we pray that you would make us a people who it is evident you have saved, who you've given the kingdom to by the death of your Son. We thank you that his salvation actually saves us. That his cross didn't just kill him, but killed the flesh and the sin inside of us and gives us new life in the Spirit. Oh God, bear much fruit, we pray, for your glory. Amen.